Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Kashel Lachman, and today we're going to talk about how pharmacists can expand access to palliative care for people living with serious illness. As pharmacists, literally our first vow in our oath is, I'll consider the welfare of humanity and relief of suffering my primary concerns. You know who really does that amazingly well? Palliative care pharmacists, if I say so myself as a palliative care pharmacist. Relief of suffering is our primary concern. That's our jam. Today, I'll be chatting with palliative care pharmacists Maria Foy and Tracy White about the oft misunderstood underutilized and underavailable specialty of palliative care. Maria is the pharmacy care coordinator and palliative care pharmacist at Abington Jefferson Health in Abington, Pennsylvania. Tracy is a clinical pharmacy specialist in palliative care and oncology at Memorial Medical Center in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And while palliative care is a specialty, a palliative approach to care in general pharmacy practice or non-palliative specialties like cardiology or oncology can really transform your way of thinking, your impact, and dare I say, maybe even help you find additional meaning in your work. Thanks for joining us today. Tracy, let's dive right in. What exactly is palliative care? Sure. Palliative care is a specialized form of medical care for people living with serious illness and their families. It focuses on providing relief from the symptoms and the stress of an illness with the goal of improving quality of life. It's based on the needs of the patient, not on prognosis. And palliative care is appropriate at any stage of an illness alongside treatment directed at the underlying illness. Physician Robert Center said, palliative care brings humanity to medicine, a humanity that we risk forgetting. And I think that's so important. No matter if you are a community pharmacist or a pharmacist specializing in palliative care, this is important. Yeah, I agree. Tracy, could you give us an example of an impact you've had on patient care by incorporating palliative care into your practice? We had a patient, this was a few years ago, her name was Loretta. We were first consulted to see her in the hospital due to severe weakness and dysphagia as a complication from radiation therapy she experienced from early stage laryngeal cancer. She's about 80 years old. She had, again, a severe radiation burn to her anterior neck. She had lost her voice and was in a really great deal of pain due to that. She had also just had a feeding tube placed and was very overwhelmed with all of that was going on with her care. Our team really adjusted her medications for symptom management. We helped clarify her goals of care. There was a lot of misunderstanding about her diagnosis. So we helped fill in some of the gaps of educating her about her illness. And we provided emotional and spiritual support you know, during that time of her hospital stay. Once she was discharged from the hospital, the nurse practitioner and I continued to visit her in the home. We helped her husband address some of the dietary concerns with the home health nurse. And I helped reconcile her medications with her husband to develop a symptom for administration of the meds in the feeding tube. I continued to visit with them weekly, either by phone or in person. And our chaplain also made frequent visits for continued spiritual support. Eventually, Loretta's pain and weakness improved over the next several weeks, and she was able to have the feeding tube removed. So our palliative care team continued to see her through other complications with her health. She also had a number of other chronic conditions, which did result in additional hospitalizations throughout these three years that we took care of her. This included a surgery following a hip fracture and some difficulty tolerating physical rehab. So not only with her and her husband, but we also engaged their daughters, two of which live out of state. So continue to keep them involved in the loop of what's going on with the medical care. 
as we continue to discuss her goals of care. And ultimately, Loretta died comfortably at home with hospice care in the presence of her family, which is exactly what she had hoped for. Thank you so much for sharing that. There are so many essential components of palliative care in what you shared, including you know, strong interprofessional teamwork and truly person-centered care. So Loretta was living with cancer. My palliative care team most commonly sees patients living with cancer, but not always. I think often people think of palliative care with cancer. Could you talk a little bit more about what kinds of illnesses may benefit from palliative care? Yeah, palliative care is really meant for anyone with serious illness. So besides cancer, this can include, but isn't limited to, heart disease, stroke, liver and kidney disease, neurologic conditions such as Parkinson's, dementia, and lung disease such as COPD. Okay, so anyone living with a serious illness may benefit from palliative care. I think it's amazing that you were able to see Loretta in the hospital and then at home as well. That just sounds so beneficial for patients, families, and the teams. When we think about all the different care settings where people might need palliative care, how accessible is it really in these different settings? Palliative care can be provided in many different locations. So the patient's home, long-term care facilities, not just in the hospital. It can be provided by telehealth. Our team also offers an outpatient clinic, but there really is a lack of access to specialty palliative care in some geographic areas, you know, including in especially rural areas. And overall, there's a shortage of palliative care providers to see as many patients as would benefit from specialty palliative care. That's why it's crucial for all pharmacists to have a general understanding of palliative care principles and be able to implement those in their practice. I totally agree. And I think we could use more pharmacists specializing in palliative care too. Maria, what's the role of pharmacists who do specialize in palliative care? So what I've seen is palliative care pharmacy is becoming such an up and coming field of practice. And this can support various potential roles for a specialized pharmacist trained in pain and symptom management. We've seen postgraduate training programs increase. I've been practicing in this role for about 15 years now, and I've seen how our role has changed dramatically over the years. Initially, when I started, my team had no idea what a pharmacist can do for them and what a pharmacist can be on this role. But over the years, they sure have learned to depend on me. I feel like such an intricate part of the team at this point. So my team consists of physicians, nurse practitioners, social workers, chaplains, and more and more are listing the services of pharmacy specialists. A significant portion of palliative care is for pain and symptom management, and medication management of various different types of illness, and this will affect their quality of life. Our role can be related how there are generalists and specialists in medicine, for example. My personal role as a clinical palliative care pharmacist is in an inpatient setting. I work in an interprofessional team. I'm considered an essential member of the team. And when many think of a pharmacist, they think of us more in a dispensing role. However, this specialized training allows us to practice at the top of our license, carrying a very important role in being the medication experts in the specialty area of pain and symptom management, an area which really isn't very well understood. But all practitioners, including pharmacists, support the welfare of all our patients with our primary goal of providing comfort and relieving suffering of our patients under this care. The palliative care and hospice pharmacists can also support various other services through administrative and consultative Agree, especially about those other roles that we often don't think about. Recently, I worked with a team of hospice and palliative care pharmacists to develop entrustable professional activities for the specialty. And the essential activities we found cut across clinical leadership 
educator and scholarly roles. And those were really previously outlined in the ASHP guidelines on the role of hospice and palliative care pharmacists. The difference we found is that some of the roles and responsibilities that were deemed desirable in 2016 are really essential now, and additional activities and roles were defined. For example, hospice and palliative care pharmacists really discern when suffering might be best palliated by a chaplain, as you mentioned, or music therapist or a social worker, instead of adding a drug like a benzodiazepine. Maria, I want to circle back to the importance of all pharmacists incorporating basic palliative care skills. I think that can help us optimally fulfill our vow of considering the welfare of humanity and relief of suffering our primary concerns. Around the way, I've heard a lot of misconceptions about palliative care, even among healthcare providers, and that can get in the way of patients accessing palliative care. Those misconceptions really aren't surprising, given that most pharmacists and other healthcare providers don't yet learn much about palliative care in school. What are some of the common myths about palliative care that you've seen? One of the main things that I found is not knowing the difference between palliative care and hospice. So many of our patients would actually refuse to see us because they thought we were the grim reapers coming in to discuss their demise. We actually walk in the room now and start our conversation saying we are not hospice in order just so the patient won't immediately turn us away. And physicians actually will confuse us and they'll make statements such as they don't need palliative care yet while they're suffering in pain. So my question is that that's exactly what they need. We need to help them become more comfortable despite the fact that maybe they're not willing to go to hospice yet, but really palliative care is appropriate at that time. Absolutely. That's such a barrier. Outside of cancer as well, when I got the call, my father was in the cardiac ICU and cardiogenic shock, multi-organ failure on multiple forms of artificial life support. I asked his cardiologist if he'd consulted palliative care yet. And the answer was, no, it's not that dire yet. To his credit, the cardiologist respected my wish and agreed to consult palliative care. And they were on board by the time my flight landed. I wanted my family to have that extra layer of support, regardless of how things went with my dad. And my dad's situation was really dire. He did die days later. But I have some patients that I've been caring for in palliative care for six years, you know, and I'm sure you guys have that experience as well, and maybe even longer. So it really is appropriate at any point in a prognosis or an illness. I do agree. Everyone with some type of serious illness deserves palliative care, no matter what their prognosis is. Mitigating pain and suffering is really the definition of palliative care, and we're providing palliative care outside of and also in hospice services. So this is kind of where the difference is. All hospice services provide palliative care, but not all palliative care services will provide hospice care. Palliative care should start at the time of a diagnosis of a potentially life-limiting or serious illness. Treatments continue in palliative care until a decision is made to transition to comfort care. I often hear conversations that healthcare professionals say that the family is considering withdrawing care. Really, we're not withdrawing care. We're just transitioning care. Yeah, I experienced that as a family member as well. I have to say that that's one of my ouch phrases. When my family was assaulted with the phrase, it's time to withdraw care in a family meeting, I had to speak up and say, I think what you're really saying is that you'll continue to treat my dad's pain and you'll free him from these artificial machines and allow him to die peacefully, but you're still going to care for him. We never withdraw care. I agree. It's really just transitioning care to comfort. And when we're transitioning to hospice or stopping curative therapies, care is really not being stopped. 
our goals are changing. We're going from a curative approach to a more comfort-directed approach. And as Dame Cicely Saunders said, you matter to the last moments of your life. And we do all we can, not only to help you die peacefully, but to live until you die. I find that so important to try to allow people to live the best life they can until they're able not to be on this earth anymore. And some other things, many believe that palliative care services, especially pain treatment and palliative care will hasten death. And that's so not true. When we enlist palliative care or hospice services, that doesn't make you die any faster. And in fact, it will allow a better quality of life through maintaining and minimizing pain and suffering. So many people think that if opioids are given at the end of life, that quickens the dying process. But therapeutic doses of opioids don't speed up death. They just, again, provide comfort. A common myth is that the patient uses pain medications, they will become addicted at end of life. I had a patient that I took care of. He was so stoic and you could tell that he was suffering in pain. When I asked him if he had pain, he said no. But then I asked him if he felt like he was afraid of being addicted. And he said yes. And his family kind of agreed. They were all sitting around and I kind of made a joke of it. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to see you going out and trying to do things to get money to just get your drugs to get high from them. And they got it. And about a month later, I didn't think anything of it. I got a letter from them, an email from them talking about he was able to spend his time with his family because he agreed to use the opioids. And he was able to have a great quality of life until he died. So I think that it's so important to try to dispel these myths because there is a lot of bias and a lot of fear that we're just going to try to kill you with the opioids. So even if there is a risk of substance use disorder, and then we're seeing more and more of these patients at end of life, these patients also may require pain control and deserve to be comfortable. There's ways to do that. Sometimes the medications that we use for opioid use disorder and substance use disorder can be used for pain at end of life. And we have to be careful because sometimes patients have beliefs that they deserve to have this, that this is some type of punishment for their doing some type of wrongdoing in their life. And you know what? We may not agree with these patients. We may try to explain to them our views. Maybe they're not going to agree with us, but that's okay. We should meet patients where they are and provide support to them despite what their belief is. Agree. Palliative care is all about aligning the care that's provided with the patient's needs and values. And sometimes that'll mean continuing treatments or going with choices that we wouldn't have made ourselves. It's not about us. It's not for us to judge. We're here to journey alongside, to provide information that patients and families want in the way that they want and need it, to bear witness, to support, and to comfort no matter what. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening. We want to challenge you to think about how you can incorporate a palliative approach into your practice, whether you work in cardiology, transplant, community pharmacy, wherever it may be. Thank you, Maria Foy. Thank you, Tracy White, for joining us today to discuss palliative care. If you haven't before, I encourage you all to check out ASHP's online resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings, such as the Ambulatory Care Resource Center, the Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, clinical pharmacy resources, and more. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Hot Topics in Pharmacy, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the ASHP podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, 
rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.